you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to Colossians. Our sermon text today is Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. But we'll start in chapter 2, from verse 16, and read all the way to 3, 1 to 4, 3, 4. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, just before we get started, let's pray, and then we'll get back into Colossians. Uh, Father, uh, we're just coming back here from Roots after, um, for many of us, a weekend away where we get to consider um, your coming, Lord. We get to consider this uh, amazing heavenly kingdom um, that you are bringing, um, this judgment that you have over it all um, by which you're going to make everything right. You're going to right every wrong. You are going to bring your justice, and for us who... Um, should receive your justice, Lord, we have something even greater to look forward to. By the sacrifice of your Son and his righteousness given to us, we actually look forward not to judgment, but to mercy and grace that will lead us into an eternal relationship um, of glory with you. Um, it is beyond our comprehension. It is unimaginable. Um, and even as we consider it, as we come from busy weeks full of school and work and sports and friends and family and all sorts of things, um, we just want to take the next number of minutes, Lord, um, to consider you over them. We want to consider your reign. We want to consider your goodness. And we want to submit to your authority in such a way that we would come here and ask, Father, we desperately need you. We need your spirits to excite us and to make us enthusiastic about you, to remind us of your heavenly truths that we might leave this place uh, even more different than we came that we might have a taste of your glory so that we may live lives in light of your coming kingdom. Please help us with that. Help me um, as we go through um, Colossians that we may be fed well from the amazing feast that you have prepared for us in your word. And we trust you and we love you. And we pray just capture our attention. We pray all this in your name. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, in the city of London, the transportation division of the city of London hired a company to make a commercial. The reason they wanted to make this commercial uh, is because 
many cyclists had started using busy roads that went through London and they were concerned for their safety. And so the transportation division in the city of London hired a company to make a commercial to make people more observant as they drove through London that cyclists were there. And the way they wanted to do that was to explain to people that they weren't actually as focused on the road as they thought they were. They basically wanted to help people have a healthy questioning of their powers of observation. And the way they do that, did that was very interesting. What they did is at the start of this commercial, they had two teams in front of you. They had four people on each team, one wearing white shirts, one wearing black shirts, and both of them had a basketball in their hand. And the caption read, count how many times the white team passes the basketball to each other. What then follows is that the four white players and the four black players start intermingling and they start passing the basketball to each other. And you, as you're watching the commercial, are focused on the players in the white t-shirts passing the ball to one another. This goes on for not very long, just about 15, 20 seconds or so, and it's finished. And as they promised, they said, how many times uh, did the white team pass the basketball to each other? And amidst the confusion, you can count it's about 15 times, and they put it up there 15 times. And then a very interesting caption follows, and it says, did you notice the moonwalking bear? Elliot seems to know this illustration. It says, did you notice the moonwalking bear? The commercial then proceeds to rewind what you just saw and play for you the exact same thing again, but this time you're looking for the moonwalking bear. And the amazing thing, he's not actually hidden. He's right there. A man in a full bear costume very casually starts moonwalking past the screen looking for your attention like this. And it's amazing to see in a psychological study, it was shown that as people were shown that commercial and asked, did you notice the moonwalking bear on the first time? Guess how many people did not notice the bear? Elliot, how many? You didn't notice it? Oh, you did notice it. Okay, well you were 50% of the people. The other 50% of people, by the way, including myself, this is why this is stuck in my head, 50% of people did not notice the moonwalking bear. And then the commercial's tagline uh, shows up at the end of the commercial and it says this, it's easy to miss something you're not looking for. It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. Focus is essential. Your powers of operation, or operation, your powers of observation, rather, and your ability to concentrate are essential. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about our mindset. If you have the right focus and the right mindset, you can not only help to avoid easy distractions, but even more importantly, you can avoid serious dangers. For the city of London, their point was to help drivers and cyclists avoid danger for the cyclists on the road. But this point is relevant for us because your spiritual focus is essential if you want to walk confidently and carefully through your own daily lives. Paul had that concern, not only for us uh, so many years later, but to the Colossian church because they were in danger of being told to focus on the wrong thing. They were told to focus on these false teachers who themselves were saying they were better and had the right spiritual path and the right focus. 
And because of that, Paul says they were judging them and disqualifying them and telling them to submit to regulations and rules that they had no need to follow. And the reason was the false teachers, just like the drivers potentially in London, were easily missing the thing that they shouldn't have missed because they weren't looking for it. And what they weren't looking for was Christ. Everything that Colossians has been talking about now is the beginning of the Christian life is a focus on Christ. Because the false teachers had no concern about that, Paul has been talking about them for two chapters and is now talking to us about not focusing on the wrong things that the false teachers were, but to focus correctly on Christ. And it's not just to look at Christ, but Paul explains, at least with two words through this text, that you are to passionately, passionately focus on Christ so you would passionately pursue Christ. Many of you are familiar with this text we're going to go to, and most of you are familiar with the commands, the imperatives that are in this text. There are two that you can see that are really obvious that bring this whole passage together. They're the words seek and set. Number one, seek. In chapter three, verse one, if you have been raised with Christ, seek. You are to desire. You're supposed to live out. It's the idea of living life, going after, Colossians 1.10, whatever is fully pleasing to Christ. It is the passionate pursuit of every way possible that you could live your life for Christ. It is believing his promises, and believing his promises is more than just information, but as real application, that it would motivate movement towards maturity in you. It's not the idea of let go and let God. It's this, let's go. Go and live out your life for Christ. Seek the things that would please him. And the other word is very similar to it, and it's the word set. In verse 2, set your minds. It's the idea that's similar to seek, but it's this idea of constancy. It's making this a pattern in your life. It's considering, contemplating, meditating on, dwelling on whatever Christ would be pleased with. It's not just looking at him, understanding the gospel, and then forgetting about that or not looking at the next day. It's today and tomorrow and the next day placing Christ before you and having a focus on him and letting him interpret and letting him qualify what reality actually is. Now, even those two commands are this idea of what a Christian focus looks like. A Christian focus looks like seeking and setting, but as Paul talks about it, he's also going to tell us why and how. Why are you supposed to have a Christian focus? How is that supposed to look? What are you supposed to focus on? That is really what Paul is going to get at as he starts here and in the rest of chapter 3 is going to explain what a Christian focus looks like. And this is the reason why you're supposed to have a Christian focus. Because a relationship with Christ means you are headed towards an eternal heavenly home with Christ. You are headed towards an eternal heavenly home with Christ that is good and guaranteed, and that changes your life now. What we're looking at today is very similar to what we looked at in retreat. If you understand how Christ has changed your life, and you understand the guaranteed good coming kingdom that he has established for you, the room that he has set up for you in heaven, that changes your life right now. That motivates new desires and new investments and new things to seek after in life right now. 
And that's what Paul is going to explain in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. He's going to give us at least, even more than that, but at least three reasons why Christians should live their life in light of eternity. And the first reason is the very beginning of verse 1. The first reason you live in light of eternity is because, number one, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. We've talked a lot about what it means to be raised with Christ. It is a new identity in Christ. It is a new affection. It is a new desire. It's a new life completely. Your old life is gone and you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And one of the things that changes is your perspective. If you've been raised with Christ, you have a new perspective. If you want to see the stars in Los Angeles, you cannot go to downtown Los Angeles. To see the stars, you need to get past the pollution, which means you need to get up onto the tallest mountain you can, and then you will be able to see the stars clearly. If you lose a friend in the mall, you might be able to call for them, but the best thing that you could do is get yourself on a high platform or go to the second level of the mall and start looking for them. This is for those of you who don't have phones. If you have a phone, I'm assuming you're going to call them. Sometimes if you go to see a very populated event, like an attraction or a festival or a parade, like when I was a kid, sometimes you'll see parents who will take their children who are too small to see it, and they will put them on top of their shoulders so that they can see the parade or they can see the festival. They have a proper perspective. And in the same way, spiritually speaking, as you've been raised with Christ to new life, you have a new perspective, which means you can see past the normal way that we lived our lives before. You'll be able to see what sin really is and what reality actually is. When you are raised with Christ, it changes what you see, and that should change what you do. Paul has already said what it is. If you've been raised with Christ, number one, you seek the things that are above. That's your new motivation. You have the natural and supernaturally given ability to see the things above. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't just say, you see Christ, or you go towards Christ. He takes an interesting route in saying that. He says, you seek the things above. But then right after that, he doesn't necessarily explain what the things above are. He makes it a little vague and moves on to why you seek whatever those things are. He says in verse 1, you seek the things above because that's where Christ is. And then he paints an amazing picture. He says that Christ who is above is seated at the right hand of God. Now to you guys, if we've been sitting through this book or if you've only so much knowledge of the New Testament, that might be a new phrase for you. Christ is seated on the throne. But in the New Testament, that's actually a very well-known phrase. And it's well known because it's a glorious truth. It's one of the greatest pictures that we could possibly be raised up to see in our new perspective of Christ. And it means so many things that are amazing, but at least a couple that might be relevant to us as we've been through Colossians so far. If Christ is on the throne, one of the things that means is that he has authority. If Christ is on the throne, that means he's a king. That means he is the king. That means he has the ability and the right, not only to tell us what to do, but to rule a kingdom well. A perfect king rules perfectly. In Colossians 2.10, he's already told us, Christ is the head of all rule and all authority. Even that claim by itself explains that Christ not only has the throne, but he took the throne. He established that only he can have the throne, and he defeated any other power 
that might be against him. 1 Peter 3.22, it says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And even that verse should sound familiar to us because it sounds very similar to what we've studied in Colossians 2.15. In Colossians 2.15, Paul already said that Christ disarmed, put to open shame, and triumphed over the rulers and authorities. Remember what Colossians has been telling us. Christ is God. He is the only king who has the right to rule, and anything in his way has been subjected under his feet. And that's a good thing for you. And it's a good thing for you because one of the other things that it means for Christ to be on the throne is that he's interceding. Christ is interceding. That means broad strokes, basically, he's doing something for you. His kingship was made for you. It's a good thing for you. Christ is interceding for you. In Romans 8.34, it says, Christ Jesus was raised, is at the right hand of God, and is indeed interceding for us. His rule is for you. You benefit from it because he's a good and gracious king who has invited you into his kingdom. And again, we actually know from Colossians how he was able to invite us to the kingdom because he accomplished the gospel necessary for us to be invited into the kingdom. And that's actually something that Christ on the throne also means. The other thing it means is that Christ has finished his work. He has stood up to do his work and he has sit down to rest because everything needed has been finished. And when I say the work, what we're talking about is the gospel. Hebrews chapter 1-3 says, After making purification for sins, Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ has done everything that needed to be done for you to come into the kingdom that preserves his justice, that gives us as sinners his righteousness, and as Hebrews says, has purified us, has made us clean and washed completely and forgiven of our sins. And therefore, Paul confidently began his letter in Colossians 1.13 by saying, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, why does that matter? Because if you see that, you should seek to see it every single day. That is one of the most glorious truths you could ever have. This world is broken and Christ's kingdom is not in any way. And he's given you the ability to see it and all the proof you need, both in his word and the spirit's work on your heart to know this is a good king you serve. And this is a guaranteed kingdom that he is bringing that is coming. So look at it and you will desire not just to wait for that kingdom, but to live like you're in that kingdom now. And if you ever needed motivation to live now like you're in that kingdom, it's to think about how worthy God is to be served. He is the king who has interceded for you, finished the work of the gospel to invite you into his kingdom. Ashley gave me a very interesting book to read not long ago. It's about a butler. I don't know if you were ever interested in reading about butlers, but it's proved to be a very interesting book. And one of the internal kind of monologues the butler has in this book, it's, it's a fiction, it's not a real book, but he has a conversation with himself and other butlers about what it means to be a good butler. And lots of people have different ideas. It's you have to serve this way and you have to be always prepared and you have to um, just be ready to do whatever is necessary. Everybody has different opinions. But later on in one of the chapters, he has a little bit of an epiphany, this kind of amazing idea that strikes him and he considers what it means to be a good butler. 
He says, the question was not simply about how well someone practiced their skills, but to what end they did so. Every butler has a desire to make their own small contribution to the creation of a better world, and they saw that the surest means of doing so would be to serve the greatest gentlemen of our times in whose hands civilization has been entrusted. That's big talk when you're talking about a butler simply serving their own master. But how true is that if we think of our God? If you think of the glory and majesty of our God, your concentration should not first be on how good do I do? What should I do to enter into this kingdom? No. Think first about how you've been invited into the kingdom, how good God is to be served, and that he's guaranteed you to be in his kingdom. It's his goodness that is the ultimate motivation to make you live like you truly are serving a good and gracious king. So remember that all of that is possible because in Christ you have been raised to have this new perspective to see that kingdom coming. That's the first. You can live in light in paternity because you've been raised in Christ. And the second follows down in verse three. In verse three it says, number two, you have died in Christ. You have died in Christ. And again, we've talked about this. The idea of dying in Christ is the idea that your old life has passed away. You are no longer like you used to. It's not talking about the new life you lived. First, it's talking about the old life that you no longer live. Now, if you look in verse 3, we obviously skipped verse 2, and there's a reason for that. You'll notice in verse 3 it says, for. Think of that for as a because. If you think about it that way, if you understand grammatically that's what it means, you'll understand that Paul's going to make an argument in verse 2 going into verse 3. He's going to say verse 2 is true because of verse 3. Because you have died in Christ, verse 2 is applicable to you. So now let's look at verse 2 and put in that because. Verse 2 reads this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because you have died. Because you have died, Paul is going to emphasize that you do not need to focus on the things of earth. You can see even in two verses, in one and two, Paul is making a differentiation. He's making a difference here. There are things above and there are things below. And currently, physically, we live below. We are on the earth. But we don't need to think in the same way the world thinks. This world here has its own virtues, its own standards, its own right and wrong. And we don't live that way. Now remember from verse 1, why don't we live that way? What is the difference between things above and things below? If we're just going with Colossians 3, Paul has a great reason. We concentrate on things above because Christ is there. Christ is in a perfect kingdom that he is bringing, and we're going to live perfectly there. And it is so glorious to think that we don't want to live here because it is totally like that king, unlike that kingdom. I was thinking about this. Why does it seem obvious that Paul needs to mention this to begin with. And the reason is because even though it might be obvious informationally, it's not obvious in terms of the way we actually live our lives. Every single day of our lives as we go to do certain things and perform certain tasks and get about what we have to do, it is very easy to not have an eternal perspective. And when we start naturally doing the things of the world, things can get very wrong very quickly. Paul actually mentions how bad it's going to get and we'll talk about that next week. If you'll notice, he says, don't uh, set your minds on the things of earth, and then look at verse 5. What does it say? Put to death, therefore, 
what is earthly in you. Paul is going to explain as we continue in Colossians what is earthly, but for now he's going to say, whatever is earthly, you don't want to think that. And I need to remind you, because we forget that every single day of our lives. We can forget that an earthly perspective is not the way we're supposed to live our lives. I was thinking about this even as we were running around in the game of how many people stood up who said they're homeschooled. Raise your hand if you were homeschooled. Ever. Okay, so most of us. So now raise your hand if you grew up mainly in the church. Okay, so again, a lot of you. So almost everybody here has a lot of their life is quantified by being a Christian, being in the church, being homeschooled, whatever it is. I also grew up in the church, and I was thinking about this. I wonder if you guys have ever thought about this. You hear so many sermons from me, from Pastor Josh, from Pastor Isaiah, about what it means to be a Christian and how weird and awful the world is. Now, let me ask you this, especially for those of you guys who went to public school. Were you ever surprised at how the world wasn't as bad as you thought it was? Like, you went into the world, and you just thought to yourself, like, okay. You ever went into the world and you thought to yourself, I'm going to see people fighting each other. I'm going to see people up to immorality. Everybody's smoking. It's just going to be awful. And then you went, and like people were nice, and people were actually like kind every once in a while, and you actually had a group of friends, and they actually cared about your interests. There was actually those things, and you were like shocked. You ever feel like that? I felt that same way. That's not weird. That is life. I remember I was lonely for so many uh, months uh, when I was in my first high school and I switched schools and all of a sudden I had all these friends uh, for the first time, way too many friends that I could even handle. And they were so kind and so nice that I actually started comparing them to church people. And the kind of friendship and kindness that my high school friends offered me seemed a lot better and deeper than what I experienced there. And that kind of community ended up bringing me into all sorts of things that were wrong But it wasn't just because they were trying to ruin my life. It's because all of us were enjoying a different standard. We liked letting everybody else do what they wanted to do. We liked being able to do whatever we wanted to do without any kind of scorn or any kind of challenge or anything like that. It was easier to live in the world. And that's because that is what we're like. We are people who are born into this world with sin and with self-focused. And even in the best of times, That is always there. There is always something in this world that is chiefly unconcerned with Christ. So why do we need to have an eternal perspective? The reason is, no matter how good this world seems, we need to remind ourselves constantly, it is not nearly so good as the kingdom that is coming. It is not nearly so good as Christ. The small pictures of joy that we have in this life that we think are so amazing, they are so small and so insignificant in comparison to a life with Christ. Not just with church people, not just doing church things, but a life with Christ. That life and the life that will be fully revealed that we'll talk about later is the greatest life you could possibly live Paul wants to remind us of that constantly, and he needs to remind us that we need to remind ourselves of it every single day. That's why he says in verse 2, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind about how holy living is going to be amazing. It's going to be devoid of sin. It's going to be devoid of brokenness, devoid of failure, devoid of judgment and regulations and everything else. Devoid of our own guilt, devoid of our own shame. 
that world is going to be so much better. And the best part about it is you get to start living it now. You get to live out from the heart a life that is holy, where shame is actually dealt with, where repentance actually leads to excitement over the things of Christ. That community doesn't just become friendships, it becomes family. It becomes something deeper than this world has to offer. And that's all because of this new resurrection life and this old life that Christ has put to death that he has now given us so we can see reality according to Christ. The reason I think Paul is saying this so often is because it's so easy to want to go so quickly to behavior and so quickly to actions before we think about why we're doing those things and our perspective. And I know we've talked about this a lot, and it's because it's in Colossians and it's important. It's kind of like the difference between wearing contacts that have colors in them, like if you've seen in movies, and wearing contacts that are actually corrective. Now you get colored contacts, maybe it has like a red dye or something in it, and you put it in your eyes, and then everyone sees your eyes are red. But if they're made right, even though everyone sees red in your eyes, you actually see life the same way. You don't see red in life. You see life the same way, with the same colors. That, I think, is so often how we live the Christian life. We put on behavior. We put on actions. We put on going to church. We put on praying when people are looking. But we actually still see the world the same way. We haven't actually considered that the gospel actually does change you. It actually does make you see things differently. So you get to do the right things for the right reasons, and it has the right results. It actually builds up hope and anticipation for this coming kingdom because the gospel is corrective context. When you put on the reality that Christ has given you, that you can believe, you actually see reality correctly and it makes you live differently and it makes you live joyfully and with real comfort and real community and everything that is real. And that is because it's supernatural. It's like we talked about just briefly at the bonfire, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. A spiritual conversation is a big deal. You being kind from the heart to your brothers and sisters, that's real. That's supernatural. That can only truly, genuinely happen for Jesus if Jesus has done something in your life. That's not ordinary. And we're called to live that out because we have that perspective and because we are given the motivation to do that. We have at least two of them that we've been raised with Christ and we've died in Christ. And therefore we can see Christ and set our minds on Christ. And there's one other one, a third one. It's the second half of verse three. It actually goes really closely together with the other one, but I just think it's a cool point to kind of emphasize and add as its own third point. And it's this, you've raised with Christ, you've died with Christ, and number three, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3 says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a lot of controversy on what hidden with Christ in God means, that hiddenness. A lot of people think it emphasizes different things. I think there's at least two quick things I can tell you that are really encouraging of why this phrase is awesome. Number one, the idea of hidden with Christ means, the way another pastor described it, your life is tangled up with Christ. Colossians is big on this idea of union with Christ. You and Christ aren't just buddies. You live the same life. Galatians, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You are so wrapped up with Christ that you are with God. Notice he says, 
Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You guys should know, especially from last year's Roots Retreat, that the Trinity is three persons, but one essence. They're so close together, they're one essence. And in some amazing supernatural way, Christ is so united with us that it's like we're right there. You are not God, but you're so close to God that you're in Christ, you're in God, you're tangled up with Christ. And therefore, your life is in Christ. It's the closeness that's there. You receive all the benefits of Christ, everything that the Father believes on Christ, every, every way the Father considers the Son. That's how he considers you. Christ is the Son of God, and you have been adopted, Romans 8, 4, as sons and daughters. But it means something else that I think is really cool. The other thing hidden with Christ means is that you have everlasting security with Christ and God. You have everlasting security security. There's a reason hiddenness has to do with security and protection is the idea of protection. I remember uh, I went to college in Nova Scotia on East Coast Canada. Um, the capital city there is Halifax and we used to go into Halifax because we were in a salt, uh, small town college so we wanted to go into the city. So many many times we would go three hours into the city in Halifax and we'd look around. And one day we were looking around we found this big field that was kind of like at the top of the city and we're like, that's interesting, let's go up there and have a picnic or have a hangout, whatever. And we go up and there's this path going up and we get to the top and there's this guy hanging out. And he says, hey, the fort's gonna close in 10 minutes. That means it's free, do you wanna come in? And we're like, what fort? He's like, there's a fort here. We're like, really? No, there's not. And we look and it's just field. He's like, no, no, there is, come on. And he brings us up. And all of a sudden, when you get to a certain spot on the hill, you look and there's a massive, preserved 200-year-old fort at the top of the city. I'm talking like Pirates of the Caribbean, like full wood set up Pocahontas level fort. And it's huge. You cannot see it from the ground, but if you go up onto that hill, you can see it and it's huge and it can see everything. There's something about our spiritual lives that's like that. The world cannot see you. The world looks at you and you talk about Christ and they think that's nothing. But you know it's something because you know the truth and your eyes have been opened. And that is so true, not because of your, the strength of your faith, but because of Christ, who's the object of your faith. That is so true. You're so wrapped up in him that it's a protection for you. You have been taken out from the world. The world does not see you, but Christ is protecting you. It is your security. And what are you being kept safe for? Well, he says that in verse four. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the idea is that it's hidden now, but it one day will be revealed. And verse four says it is going to be revealed. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Depending on where you go in the Bible, it's interesting to see that it seems like the kingdom is here and it's not here. We can live in the kingdom now, but the kingdom has not come. And the question is, which is it? Has the kingdom come or is it coming? The apostles have this question even in the book of Acts. And the answer is yes and no. It's a strange reality that we have. You can live in the kingdom. You have been raised. Everything that's been done for you to live like you're in the kingdom is done. But something better is coming and it will be fully revealed. Now you have been filled with the fullness of Christ, so it has come to you. But the world doesn't see it, and you do not fully see it. But one day you will. When Christ appears, you will appear. 
Not the you that if you look around, you are seeing all sorts of you's and me's and they's. This is not what we're going to be like. We are going to have a body. It is going to be our body and our personality, but it's going to be fully revealed. The transformative, glorious reality that Christ has begun in you is going to be fully revealed to the world as like a grand opening. And Paul is reminding you of how amazing that is going to be so you live in that reality now. I don't know if you guys are the kinds of people now or when you were kids or when it gets to December, you start looking around for your Christmas presents. You start looking around for where they're hidden. I had four brothers and sisters. We used to do that. Start searching through the house, trying to find the places where my mom was trying to find five people's gifts. And the more times they told us, guys, you're not getting something big this year, the harder we tried to look. And it's interesting, even as a kid, you start looking around and you start peeking through things and you finally find the spot we almost always did. You start looking in and taking peeks. And the more glimpses of it you get, the more excited you get, but not to steal the present. You have to wait till Christmas. But the more glimpses you get, the more excited you get. Paul's doing that for us. Paul's doing that for us. Paul is giving us peaks into how amazing the full revelation is going to be. But the more you see, and the more you see how that is being revealed to you as you start bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, and you start doing things genuinely from the heart, and you start loving people the way Christ loved them, and you recognize the love of Christ for you deeper than you did before, that is what gets you more excited and more joyful over this coming kingdom that he's bringing. You've been raised, you've been given a new perspective, you have died, you do not need to live in the old perspective you used to have, and your life is hidden with Christ. If you are with Christ and in Christ, and see more glimpses of Christ in his word, and as you consider his role in your life, you will live as good as you can now. You will desire to do what we're going to get into in the next couple weeks, the things that you put to death, the things that you put away and the attitudes and character that you put on because you want to live in conformity to Christ because it's going to lead to a better world than we can imagine. The initial question from the London commercial that we opened was this, it's easy to miss something you're not looking for. Just because you believe in Christ, are you still looking for Christ? It is easy to miss what it means to be a Christian if you are never looking at Christ. The gospel is not a message that you take once and you leave it behind. It is a message you return to over and over because it is changing the way you look at the world. It is changing the way you behave and it is building excitement for a kingdom that is coming that will be better than anything that we could conceive of. And as we continue in Colossians chapter three, our goal is to constantly go back to this truth, this amazing truth that Paul has given us, that you living out an eternal perspective is something that has been promised to you. Take advantage of it. Believe Christ. Live in that eternal perspective and seize the way, see the ways that Christ begins to transform you as you live your life for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Colossians. Thank you for the way that we can consider how good 
glorious you are. For anything that I have said that's been distracting, any, any mistakes I have made, Lord, just remove all of them and let everything that is left just be your word. Let us consider the ways that your word and your truth and your Holy Spirit have changed our lives to see reality properly. Lord, our lives are good if they are the way they are supposed to be, which is they are all about you. You are good and you are perfect and you have invited us, not good and imperfect people, into your kingdom. We want to live that way, but first we want to see your glory. We want you to remind us that you are doing something better, better than we could do on ourselves. You are giving us a better pattern to live by than we could make up. You are giving us greater joy and pleasure than anything this world would have to offer. Help us believe that. Help us believe that. And let us constantly desire your kingdom to come and that your will would be done on earth just as it is done in heaven. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, before we uh, finish and go to small groups, I have two questions for you. So if you have your, uh, your notepads or your phones or whatever to write them down, or if you have time in the small groups to write them down, um, then I would encourage you to do that just so even if you don't answer all the questions or don't get to them, that you can answer the questions yourself at home. So if any of us ever got to talk to you or encourage you or have a good conversation with you, that you would be able to think about this kind of eternal perspective in Colossians 3 past just uh, today in small groups, but tomorrow and the next day, that's really the goal of Colossians is to set your minds, to consistently meditate on this stuff. So two really quick questions. Number one, how can I have an eternal perspective? So the idea is how is it possible? How can I have an eternal perspective? How can I have an eternal perspective? The second question is kind of easy. If I don't have an eternal perspective, why is that? If I don't have an eternal perspective, why is that? So that's it. We're going to meet again at somewhere around 9.30. Thank you guys for already cleaning that stuff up. If you need to go longer, feel free. Um, and we will see you guys soon.